All of you guys, thanks for being here today. I wanted to set this up because there's, <laughs> in light of recent controversy around XPubs, um, I, the question of how sophisticated users have to be to interact with Bitcoin and what is an advisable level of sophistication and what that means in terms of how you interact with Bitcoin, how you store, use, secure, et cetera. And uh, of course, multi-signature has become popular over the last few years as a method of doing a number of things, but uh, securing Bitcoin chief among them perhaps. And it is kind of one of those <clears throat> sticking points where I think a lot of people came into Bitcoin um, and perhaps they got a hardware wallet, perhaps they then you know, found a way to secure their seed phrase and that's how they do security. And they're hearing a lot of things about multi-signature and how that might be uh, a more sensible approach and also offer some functionality uh, and, and planning options that hopefully we'll, we'll get into. And, uh, but there's, you know, people are apprehensive about it. So I was hoping that this conversation today uh, would shed some light on the pros and cons of, uh, you know, each respective, respective way of securing uh, Bitcoin. And uh, then we could just, you know, take it wherever it goes and, and kind of try to unpack it and demystify it for people that might have, uh, you know, some reservations about changing their setup, more so than even reservations about what that change might be, but just having been, become comfortable with something and changing it. Anyways, with me to do that is Phil Geiger from Unchained Cap, Ben, the car man. Ben, where you find yourself, where are you working these days? What are you up to? Uh, I work at Shirtbits right now. Okay, Shirtbits. And Anant, who is uh, today's sponsor, actually. Sponsor spot. Uh, so I, I should, I've uh, asked any small uh, businesses or projects in the Bitcoin space if they wanted to come in at the beginning of one of these conversations this month and uh, pitch or shill uh, their project. And uh, Anant hit me up and wanted to do it today. So my friend, the floor is yours. Hey, thanks, John. So thanks for having me. Um, my name is Anant. I'm the founder of BitHive. And uh, here I'm, I'm here to talk about our wallet, Hexa. Uh, Hexa is essentially a, a super secure wallet, non-custodial, Bitcoin only. It is uh, available on iOS and uh, Android app stores. Um, uh, there's a long list of stuff I can talk about Hexa. But essentially, if I have to keep it brief, uh, it's uh, it's built on a backbone of uh, of the uh, Shamir Secret Sharing Recovery Scheme. So what it does is essentially uh, the backup scheme is such that it gives you five recovery keys, and uh, in such a way that uh, you can distribute those five recovery keys amongst your friends on your devices on your uh, you know um, your iCloud or cloud cloud service providers, such that you need three of the recovery keys to restore your wallet, right? So that reduces the uh, reduces the single point of failure that you might have with the seed or um, or any other mechanism. It also gives it a lot more resiliency because now you can lose two of the keys, but your wallet is uh, still available. So that's really the backbone backbone of the product. But um, when you get onto the home screen, you don't really need to worry about the backup scheme. Uh, you can start off uh, with using one of the accounts. It's a multi-account wallet. The way it is, uh, way, way, way it comes up for the user is they have a test account, which is uh, pre-filled with uh, test bitcoins, and you can just start playing with them, start using them with other Hexa wallets. And when you do this, it gives you nuggets of information. So you learn Bitcoin while you do that. When you're more comfortable, there's a checking account and a savings account on top of uh, on top of uh, basically where you get real sats. Uh, checking account is nothing but a single SIG account where you can, you know, uh, say spend uh, or send Bitcoins very easily. While savings account is where the multi-SIG comes in, right? So savings account is a multi-SIG account built, uh, built into Hexa in such a way that uh, you would need your wallet, but at the same time, you would need to provide a 2FA code to spend from that account. So what you would do is keep your pocket change in your checking account and uh, use it more regularly. While when it comes to savings account, you would uh, need, uh, you would probably store a larger chunk of your funds in there. So that's essentially the way you uh, manage funds in Hexa, like you would do in your bank account. And you can send it to your friends and family uh, and back it up, back it up with a recovery scheme that's much more resilient. So that's, uh, that's Hexa in a nutshell. So is the idea to kind of become a, maybe a little bit more have more different security options as a hot wallet? Is that kind of the idea? 
Yeah. So if you really see uh, most of the bitcoins that have been lost uh, are due to human error, um, not, not because they were stolen. So there's a very fine balance between trying to make it super secure, but at the same time, uh, you know, people end up forgetting either their passphrase or or their seed words. So that was the first first thing we wanted to attack in terms of uh, friction when people want to onboard into Bitcoin. Once that backup is kind of made easier, and here what you have to do is scan five QR codes, right? Once you have scanned the five QR codes, it indicates on the home screen, you know, your your health is hundred percent. You don't need to worry about it. And it uh, periodically checks the accessibility of each of your recovery keys. So you don't have to worry about it unless one of the recovery keys goes missing. It indicates, you know what, you might want to check with your, with your mom or with your, um, you know, uh, the other uh, device that you have the recovery key on. So that keeps the, uh, gives the peace of mind that your backup is safe. Now you're free to use the, you know, the front end of the wallet as you want. Sweet. Well, uh, where can people go if they want to learn more about the project? I think best is to start with our Twitter account, um, at HexaWallet, and um, our website, hexawallet.io. Sweet. All right, man. Well, thanks for uh, jumping in and uh, telling us a little bit about it. Sure. All right, brother. Take care. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Um, so, Phil and Ben, um, why don't we start with uh, a brief introdu- introduction from each of you so uh, we all know uh, who we're de- dealing with here. Ben, Ben, why don't you go first? Uh, I'm Ben Carmen. I work at Shirtbits. I've been in the Bitcoin space for like since 2017 and have been doing like general Bitcoin development for probably the past uh, like year and a half. Hey everyone, my name is Phil Geiger. I'm the director of product marketing at Unchained Capital. I've been running a full node for about five years now um, and uh, joined up with the Unchained Capital team about a year and a half ago. So I've been helping to build Bitcoin native financial services off of a foundation of multi-signature. Yeah. And so uh, why don't we set it up this way? I put out the the call, who wants to come on and talk about multi-sig? Phil, you're obviously an advocate and Unchained does some uh, you know, great work in the space for providing tools for the public for free, obviously, and also integrating uh, those tools into some of the products and services that you guys provide. Um, and I think kind of you know, making multi-sig uh, far less intimidating for people, at least through something like Caravan, which is you know, a really cool product. Um, and Ben, you took the other side saying that uh, perhaps it's not uh, a road you want to go down. So uh, I... Why don't we start with this? Phil, why multi-sig? That's a really good question. And I don't think that multi-sig is necessarily the first place that somebody should go when looking to custody their Bitcoin. It does add additional complexity to your operational security. But what I will say is for people who are treating Bitcoin as a multi-generational asset, Uh, Multi-signature, in my opinion, is the best way today to secure your Bitcoin for the long term, simply because it eliminates single points of failure. So there is a complexity trade-off. It is a little bit more complex to set up, but I think that once you have it set up, uh, you, you know, no single item that you're protecting is a single point of failure. So you can now lose a recovery seed and somebody who finds a recovery seed isn't immediately in control of your Bitcoin. Uh, you know, there's, a, there's a, 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 what we call at Unchained a wallet configuration file that you have to secure. Um, and that kind of contains, um, I kind of call it the, the treasure map. It helps you find all of your addresses that are part of your multi-signature setup. Um, and it always requires a combination of keys to unlock the treasure chest, as well as that map uh, to find where your treasure is located. Um, so it's a little bit more complex, but for people, like I said, who are securing Bitcoin uh, for the long run, I do believe that it is the most secure way to do so today. And before we go on to Ben, is there a particular setup that you generally favor or advocate or advocate for? Sure. So, uh, you know, I'm going to be, I think, talking my book a little bit at Unchained Capital. Um, but what I will say is any multi-signature address, um, as long as it is like, one of two or two of three or three of five solves this problem of eliminating single points of failure. 
if it's like a two of two address, that doesn't solve the problem. But if it's, you know, M of N where M is slightly smaller than N, then you're eliminating single points of failure. So just by moving to multi-signature, you're getting that security benefit, which I think is like 80 to 90% of the benefit that you get from moving to multi-sig. And then from there, it's really making that trade-off. Well, how many objects do I want to be protecting? Do I have, you know, a, a huge number of secure locations or trusted people um, who I can work with to protect this stuff? So my perspective is as soon as you move to multi-signature, try to keep the, the quorum size as small as possible. So I really think that you're going to get, you know, extremely high levels of security in a two of three setup where you're holding hardware wallets, recovery seeds, and uh, that wallet configuration file. So at a bare minimum, you're securing seven objects in a two of three address if you're doing it on your own. And just to be you know, completely clear with all of this, can you uh, describe or identify some of the single points of failure that we're trying to avoid by using something like multisig? Sure, so if you have a you know, single hardware wallet, Trezor, Ledger, cold card that you've set up, um, you've written down your 12 or 24 word recovery seed, um, that recovery seed is really like direct control of your private keys. So if you lose that recovery seed and somebody knows what it is, they can pretty easily find where your Bitcoin are located and spend the Bitcoin. Um, now those hardware wallets, they're designed to be extremely secure and protect that private key information or that master secret. But what we've seen over the course of the last 10 years is that kind of all of those hardware wallets are um, they're fallible, you know, given enough time, most of them can be broken into. Um, so it's good to store your, your seed on a, on a hardware wallet. Um, but uh, if you're really trying to protect, uh, like I said, your multi-generational wealth, you really want to just make sure that you're eliminating even that hardware wallet or that recovery seed as a single point of failure. Right. So <clears throat> That's, that's one, right? But let's, let's, if there was uh, other points of failure, there would be something like, and you know, this gets talked about less, maybe because it's less of a, an attack vector, but something like supply chain attacks, right? So if, if, you, if that was a threat, and you know, for some people that will be a threat if they're really trying to, make sure, to minimize threats everywhere, then having a multi-sig approach would just mean that that attack becomes more compl complex for the attacker because they would have to have uh, compromised more things effectively. Am I saying that right? I think that's correct. And one, uh, one discovery that I made um, in my Bitcoin journey was really reading through Christopher Allen's smart custody guide. And what, what kind of took me by surprise when I was reading through it is he starts with generating your, uh, your master seed in a very, uh, you know, random and trust minimized way. So he's actually developed some open source uh, materials and equipment to be able to generate that recovery seed. And then what you can do is load that recovery seed. Once you know that you've generated it extremely randomly, you can take that and load it onto really any hardware wallet. So whatever is the best practice. So that supply chain attack, I think for the most part, mainly comes into play where it's generating that private key for you. Um, so as long as it's generated in a random way, um, you're, you're for the most part going to be secure for a single signature. Other supply chain attacks are like, um, you know, maybe during signing it can swap out information or something like that. I'm sure Ben will have a deeper understanding of the different technical attacks than I do. But um, yeah, really, really what you want is you want to start from, from something that's extremely random in order to generate your private keys. Right. Um, and guys, by the way, throughout this, if you want to talk back and forth to each other, that's absolutely fine too, uh, if, if, if you, know, you want to respond to one another. But Ben, I'll, uh, I'll put it over to you now and uh, I guess ask the question, why not multisig? Yeah. Um, I agree with Phil for the most part. Like, multisig does protect you from like, a single key. Like, if that gets stolen, then yeah, you're going to lose all your money and that totally sucks. But I think, t at least for today, um, there's not enough support and standardization around multi-sig yet to make it usable for the average user. Um, like, for example, like with a backup, like 
Bill said, you need like seven different pieces of information. You know, you need all your keys, all the, and then with those keys, like say if you have a two of three multi-sig, but you lose your third key, if you don't have like the public keys stored with the other keys, um, you're going to lose your funds because you won't be able to find them on the chain and be able to spend them. So there's like lots of like small like gotchas that can happen that um, I think are kind of understated. And then there's still like you're paying, you're going to pay higher fees with that um, until Taproot, and uh, it has a you know an on-chain fingerprint that's more identifiable. So you could lose some privacy doing it as well, which I think is also understated. So what would you add? What what you know? Granted, what you just said is true, and we'll dig into the details in a little bit, uh, a little bit later. But what would you say is a more practical slash secure, or kind of in the sweet spot in terms of security setup, if not something like multisig? Um, I think like if you're like you know an everyday person, not like have like hundreds of millions of dollars or something, I think just using like make sure you ge definitely generate like your keys offline, like Phil is. Uh, stating, but just use like like a Bit39 passphrase, and you know, just having like good secure backups should be fine for the meantime. And then once we have like really good secure multisig, or if you do have like lots of money, then you should maybe like actually be putting in money to like pay someone to help you be part of like a quorum, like something like on chain offers. Mm. So is your argument just that there's more stuff to remember and secure with multisig? That's basically it. Yeah, and if those, like, the problem is, like, since it's extra to store, that can, uh, like, lots of them, if you, like, screw up just one of them, you can lose your funds sometimes, which is not ideal, and that can really screw you up. Like, if I'm leaving behind a lot, like, if I die and I need to leave behind my money to family, there's, like, lots of small pieces of information that they need to get, and if they lose, like, one of them, they could lose all the funds, which would not be good. Right. Well, that's actually an interesting point. I was going to, I think I'll put a pin in that one later because things like inheritance planning is, uh, I think, an interesting point here. But, uh, but Phil, what, what would you kind of say to that, you know, the, the, the complexity of having to remember and secure a number of different things rather than just one? I think that's a real concern. And what I, what I will say is, first of all, there's a, I think there's a couple differences that um, we have to we have to keep in mind. So multi-sig, right? It's open source. It's native to Bitcoin. Uh, you can do multi-sig on your own. You can also do collaborative multi-sig where you're distributing keys. Um, so you know, at Unchain Capital, one of our products is the Vaults, which is a two of three vault where Unchain holds a key, uh, and our clients hold two keys as well as their recovery seeds in the wallet file. So in that case, you're protecting five items. Um, in a two of three, and you're relying on a company uh, for that third key. So I think, you know, that the, the vaults really make it um, much more user-friendly. So it sounds kind of complex to set it up, but really you initialize two devices, share public keys, we coordinate all your addresses for you, you have one file to download, and it's just packaged in a nice file. And I speak with a lot of Bitcoiners that are uh, securing their funds in like different single signature hardware wallets, right? So if you have multiple hardware wallets already and they're already distributed, um, I think moving to multi-sig is, is a very small uh, like additional complexity for much more security because what you're doing is you're turning all of your recovery seeds and your hardware wallets into uh, just keys and instead of just single points of failure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think for a, like doing multi-signature on your own, uh, I'll agree with Ben. For most people, I'd say for anything, you know, less than, I don't, I don't even know, $50,000, $10,000 might not be worth it. Um, but for people who are really treating Bitcoin as like, you know, multi-decade uh, asset, like, I wouldn't recommend somebody who's securing their funds in multi-sig today move away from multi-sig, right? So once you're on multi-sig, if you're doing a two of three multi-sig address and you're, you know, storing 50 grand that way, like I wouldn't suggest going back to single signature with a passphrase. Um, I think single signature with a passphrase is good for a lot of people, but then again, the passphrase itself is a single point of failure. Um, so you have, you really don't fully solve that single point of failure problem because if you forget your passphrase, 
it's you've lost your private key entirely because that passphrase is a 13th or 25th word. Um, so I think for, for many people and for smaller amounts, like single signature passphrase makes sense. But if you are already kind of distributing your hardware wallets and have different vaults, you know, set up, uh, I think you gain a lot of security moving to multi-sig without adding additional, much additional complexity. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think more so, I guess a better way to put across what I was trying to say is like, there's no standardization around how to secure um, these like these extra data they need to do. Like, yeah. like if today, if you download basically any wallet, it's going to give you a BIP39 seed and you write that down. And now I can go import that into basically another, any other wallet and it'll roughly be work. Versus with multi-sig, none of these clients are really compatible with each other, at least not natively. You might be able to hack to that or something, but that uh, causes a lot of problems because, like, you know, you know, I'm bullish on Unchained, but hypothetically, if they went out of business yet tomorrow, maybe now, uh, like, Caravan could stop being developed and now my multi-sig won't be able to be used with them anymore or something. Or, um, you know, if, if you lose the ability to have, like, different uh, compatible, uh, like, files or stuff, like your wallet info, you want that to be easily transferable between different wallets. So in the future, if things do change, you still don't know if they have to like go back and look for that old software using. You should be able to just continue using whatever is the most up-to-date recent uh, like standard. So it's like I think like that's what's like one of the greatest parts about Bit39s is that how it is such a big standard and lots of wallets support mm -hmm. it that you can use it with almost any other wallet. Versus with multi-sig, it's hard to do that because um, like it's like Unchain's uh, Caravan and like Spectre, they use different standards, so I can't. You know, use one for like one key and one for another, or you know, set up on one computer with Spectre and then go use it on Unchained on a different computer. You have to make sure you're always using the exact same thing, which um can make it a lot harder to do. Unless I don't, future proof, then yeah, I I don't think that that's necessarily true today. I think I I totally agree with you that all of the wallet configuration information does need to be standardized. But one of the reasons that Unchained released Caravan was so that our company wasn't a single point of failure for our clients, because that's, you know, that would kind of mm -hmm. defeat the purpose of moving to multi-sig. So with that wallet configuration file that we provide, you know, by default for all the products and services we offer where clients hold a key, um, they can pop that into Caravan. Uh, we've had clients rebuild their vaults uh, with Electrum as well. Um, you know, so we follow the BIP67 standard. Um, and I, I believe also that Lily Wallet has uh, the ability to you know, reconstruct uh, Electrum, Caravan, Vault uh, wallets using the wallet configuration file. So you're, you're totally right. There is no standard uh, at this point in time. But I do think, like, we, we really do want to work with all of these different wallets to develop and design an emerging standard. And I think we're, mm -hmm. we're getting closer. We're not quite there, but um, for, you know, most use cases, I think that the, the wallet information is cross-compatible with at least uh, a few of the different multi-sig wallets. Okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think like once there's an actual formal BIP or whatever, some standard for this, um, I think that'll be like, that'll, that'll be the time when it's like, okay, you're like, now you're not right for not using it at this point. So Ben, if I'm hearing you correctly, the first part, um, I guess, of your critique is just that, the added, the net benefit of the added complexity um, of how you manage and store, you know, everything that's required to do is uh, not yet. The, the the benefit is not yet, you know, clear. I guess, or it's it's not not perhaps not yet worth it. And the other part of that is that things aren't standardized enough yet, such that you feel confident and comfortable in storing your funds in that way and being able to access them should X Y Z occur. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, you know, it'd be nice if there's like a standard for this like wallet info. So I don't have to have like, you know, an SD card with like a JSON file in my safe. If I just like, you know, write down like, like with the BIP39 phrase, I have to like write down like just 24 words. That's a lot easier for people to like enter and back up than, you know, telling my mom, they'll put in the SD card, drag and file this over to this window. Like, that's a lot harder to do. So I guess in principle, 
like the usability and the, you know, perhaps there's bits and pieces that need to be developed, but in principle, you agree that a multi-signature setup is probably the most secure way to, to secure your Bitcoin or will be? Um, will be once there's like um, their backup is equal to single SIGs, I think. Right. And what do you guys, whether you're doing a single SIG or multi-SIG, how important do you think it is to be using different hardware uh, in your setup? Like if you have mul multiple signal SIGs or multi-SIG? Um, I think it's not a huge, uh, like, and you're definitely going to protect yourself um, from, you know, like a supply chain attack. But if you are generating like a seed offline, like, um, like say you just see like roll dice like a million times and then create a seed out of that and then just like enter that into your wallet instead of having the hardware wallet generate it, you're going to protect yourself. Um, like then at the worst case, your hardware wallet would need to like be really compromised, like have like your wallet software and your hardware wallet compromised probably, which is very unlikely. And um, so at that point, you're going to be safe. Um, but using different uh, different vendors has pros and cons as well, though, because like say you use like a cold card and a ledger. Now you are like privy to both cold card and ledger's security vulnerabilities, which um, if they, I don't know, both of them are pretty secure, but if something bad happens on one of them and those are your, that's all you're relying on, that could screw you over. Yeah, uh, yeah I'll, I'll echo what Ben just said and just add, I kind of, so since I, um, spend so much time focusing on multi-sig, I've started viewing hardware wallets more as my user interface for my keys um, and less of like, um, you know, the, uh, the thing that's actually protecting them. So if it's with single signature, then I think that, you know, and you've generated your seed on the, the hardware wallet or with the hardware wallet, um, then yeah, you're going to, you know, run into all of the vulnerabilities that all of these manufacturers are discovering and patching. Um, if you, like Ben said, are generating your seeds by rolling dice or not relying on the, the devices, then really, and, you know, and you're using multi-sig, then really the devices are just your user interface. And at that point, I look at, you know, which one is the most uh, complete in terms of multi-signature functionality and then balancing that with ease of use. Um, so I, there's, there's certainly benefit with, if you're going to use a hardware wallet to generate your seeds, there's absolutely a benefit of combining different manufacturers. Um, but if you haven't generated your seeds that way um, and you're using multi-sig, I would just say pick the one that you think is the most user-friendly. Right. And Phil, from your perspective and i know some information you can't share but what have been um some of the preferences and problems uh, that your clients or users have run into uh when trying to set up multi-sig so in terms of preferences back to the hard work question and maybe some others and in terms of problems you know complexity or misunderstandings or mistakes or fuck-ups or or whatever i think with our vaults um we haven't had too many uh, like major issues when clients are going through and setting them up. Like a lot of the issues come from, um, I would say like, you know, device and browser and operating system compatibility issues. So with Unchained Capital, we build multi-sig addresses in the browser um, and the different hardware wallets just work differently with different browsers and different operating systems. So that's been, I think, the biggest challenge um, for getting set up on a, on a vault per se is, is yeah, just, um, picking the hardware wallet and browser and operating system compatible, um, that all just kind of works together. Um, beyond that, you know, we, we haven't run into, uh, I would say any other, you know, really show stopping issues. We've been very lucky uh, in that way. Um, another thing I think we, we kind of touched on that Ben, mentioned is that when you're when you're broadcasting or signing multi-signature transactions you're dealing with a lot more data um, and so sometimes you know our, our qa engineers for example have run into um, a couple occasions where if they're testing 
multi-sig addresses with a lot of transactions on them or UTXOs on them. Uh, the hardware wallets uh, won't sign them or it will take a really long time to sign them. And so that can be a little bit, I think, uh, scary if you're going through that in real life. So it's something to, to just keep in mind is it's really important, especially if you're on multi-signature to be managing your UTXOs. Right. I think actually, what was it, yesterday or the day before, LOP released a really nice article just cataloging the different uh, hardware wallets and how long it took to sign transactions with like 100 UTXOs on them. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't see that. Um, and has the Vault uh, product been popular, for lack of a better term? Like, have people been responding well to it? Yeah, so 2020 has been, I think, an amazing year for uh, multi-signature and Bitcoin in general. I think as Bitcoin um, continues to increase in size and value and just number of users, um, people really want to, people, a lot of people that I work with, they're, they're trying to find like that, that silver bullet solution to custody, like set it up once and forget about it. Um, I don't think that that's uh, really a, an achievable goal. I think that for now, what we have with multi-signature and a vault, like that's pretty close. But even then, we uh, will we'll start emailing clients once every quarter to have them log in and update their device firmware and check that they're still holding the keys. So it's never going to just be like set it and forget it. It's always somewhat of an active process. Um, but yeah, I do believe that we're sort of at a tipping point where multi-sig is getting easy enough to use where people are, are making the, the switch over. And then I, I said this already, but once you're on multi-signature and you feel like you have a good understanding of how everything works, um, it's sort of like taking control of your private keys for the very first time. You're unlikely, in my opinion, for your long-term holdings to move back. Right. Any comments on that, Ben? Uh, I'm curious for you guys' vault. Do you guys like offer to hold the like the like wallet, wallet info stuff? So then, like that would uh, that would protect you as a whole lot. Then it, then you're just storing like two keys instead of or like two private master private keys. Yeah, our clients have the uh, option to either trust us to coordinate all of their addresses, or for those that really want to be trust minimized, like I said, that you just have to download a single JSON file. Um, and that's the wallet configuration information. So yeah, if with a client controlled two of three vault where you would hold two keys, we hold one key, you have four, minimum four objects to protect, right? Your two hardware wallets, your two seeds. Um, and then really we, we do encourage people to download that wallet configuration file mm -hmm. so that, you know, worst case scenario, if you can't get access to your Unchained account, you have your file and you can recover it with Caravan. Um, but yeah, what, What's really, I think, unique about our solution is that your unchained account, it just protects really that wallet file or your financial information, right? Um, so we have two-factor authentication, um, you know, username, password, stuff like that. But all it's protecting is your, your information and not your actual Bitcoin. Your Bitcoin are protected with multi-sig where you hold two keys. Okay, yeah, that makes me a little more bullish because that's nice where, like, say... I die, but Unchained still in business. My mom just needs these two like 24 sets of words and then she can still get the money versus needing to give her, figure out how to like use Caravan or something. Yeah, not even, I mean, you only need to provide one seed oh, yeah. or a hard, one hardware wallet that you, that somebody knows how to unlock as well as of course, legal information, right? So we're not just going to mm. sign transactions for anybody, <laughs> but um, once our legal team you know, verifies that, there was an accident and we should help facilitate funds. Uh, yeah, we can help. So I think for, for people who are, um, yeah, who, who are comfortable with working with a company, you know, cause you are making an anonymity trade-off if you choose to work with a company, since we're contributing a public key and you're contributing two public keys, we see what's happening with uh, the transactions, but we don't actually hold the Bitcoin. Our clients hold the Bitcoin. Um, so yeah, if you're if you're not comfortable making that anonymity trade-off, Caravan is available for you know for you to do multi-sig on your own, one of two, two of three, whatever. And Phil, you were saying that you know you kind of see hardware wallets as interface for like interface devices for multi-sig now rather than quote unquote storage devices. Um, do you does Unchained or you know, do you personally or in terms of you know best practices? 
what would you suggest in terms of storing those interfaces uh, that are parts of a quorum, right? So do you believe they should be in separate places, states, countries, continents? You know, what, what is the, the, the protocol for that? It's extremely difficult to give just one recommendation. Um, so what I'll do is I'll start with the bare minimum and then I'll scale it up. Sure. So, you know, if you're, um, if you, if you have a good, if you live in a nice neighborhood, right, you're not um, a very public figure and you're securing, um, you know, some amount of Bitcoin where it makes sense for you to own two hardware wallets, um, then the bare minimum, if you're using an unchained vault, it will, you'll have, like I said, those four items to protect. The bare minimum is geographically separate one of them so that if something happens to your place of residence, uh, you still have at least one seed. Now, that is the bare minimum, and I wouldn't really suggest that. What I will say is like, it's best practice to at least geograph geographically separate both of your seeds. So, you know, give one to, uh, you know, put one in a safety deposit box or with a trusted um, third party, you know, some, a, rel a relative. Um, and what's nice about multi-sig is you can just tell, you know, if you give it to grandma, just say, hey, grandma, hold on to this. If you lose it, just let me know, right? Like it's not a single point of failure anymore because if it's lost, it's basically turn, like multi-sig kind of turns your, your recovery seed into um, if somebody just randomly picked up a key off the ground, right? without additional information, they have no idea where that key can be used. Um, so it's no longer like, you know, immediately critical that you um, move your funds into a new address versus if you lose a seed with single signature and you don't have a passphrase on it, that person who's holding that seed is holding your Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And what's the process for replacing like a lost device? Yeah, there's a couple different uh, scenarios here. So um, if you have if, if you have a Trezor or Ledger or something and it breaks, right? If you're holding your seed, just get a new device, recover the seed onto the device. You don't have to do any sort of on-chain transaction. Um, that's one scenario. Another scenario is your device is stolen or your seed is discovered. In that case, then you would want to move your funds into an entirely new, uh, we call them a vault, a multi-sig vault, um, with uh, you know, replacing that third key. Right. So you have to reconstruct everything with the new key, right? Um, yeah. Reconstructing everything, I think, sounds a little, uh, <laughs> sounds difficult. Like basically what it would be is you, you know, buy a new hardware wallet, you generate a new seed or you roll dice to generate seeds loaded onto a hardware wallet. Then you upload one public key and we have a, a sweeping uh, workflow. So it's not, it's, you know, it's not, it's, it's still an on-chain transaction um, and you're gonna have to pay minor fees and, you know, all that, but really it's uploading a new key, moving funds into a new address, downloading a new file, wallet yeah. file. Yeah, I guess what I meant by that is just every device, you know, is, yeah, is generating a new address and the funds have to be moved. Is that correct? Or it's just the, the, the new device? You, um, you, you're basically, so when you, um, when you build a multi-signature address, what your devices are doing is they're sharing uh, XPubs. Right. Shout out to Peter. <laughs> uh, and you take those XPubs and you, uh, you like derive down to individual public keys that you combine. Mm -hmm. so, so each device is like really just contributing public keys that you smash together and build an address with. Right. Um, that's my, my so non-technical explanation. So right. if you lose one of your, or if you need to replace one of your keys, you can still start from the, the other two uh, XPubs and derive down sort of new, new XPubs or public keys to build an address. So you don't have to swap out the other two keys. You can just start with the same, start from the same place and swap out one of your keys. Right, but what I, I guess what I meant was for the two that weren't lost or like for the two that weren't replaced, uh, are you using you're using the same XPub? We or you're generating so, new addresses with each XPub that will go into the new uh, public address for the multisig. Um, we generate new addresses, and this is this is going to get a little bit you know to the limit of my technical ability. But what so when you set up your vault, you upload XPubs mm -hmm. uh, located at a very standard uh, multi-signature pathway for P2SH multisig. It's M45 zero prime zero prime. 
from there for each product that you construct on our website, be it a vault or a loan, we derive from your master XPUB a, a, a unique XPUB. So it might be like M45 slash zero slash zero slash zero or M45 slash zero slash zero slash one. Um, so start from one XPUB, derive a second XPUB, combine it with a few other ones to build an address. Right. Um, so it's, this is a little confusing, but basically you, you upload two XPUBs and we can just use those two XPUBs to build entirely new multi-sig addresses um, without, uh, without ever you know, seeing what's happening um, in, in sort of one product versus another. Right. If you have a vault and a loan or two vaults or you know, 100 vaults, you so, can build 100 vaults from the same two keys. Yeah, for sure. So when, if you lose a device, you get the new device, you create a new address, you send the funds that were previously um, using the, the former device, and you send them all to the new quorum, effectively, mm -hmm. to the new uh, key. Yep. Right? Yeah, okay. Ben, and any, uh, any problems with that? No, that, that makes sense to me. There's, there's a small... Privacy leak there though, because if you're using the same Xbox as before, they'll have the same key throughout, um, like the old set and the new set of keys, so they can see those funds are linked. But otherwise, I mean, that makes sense to me. And Ben, what just to before we move on to a few other issues, but um, I didn't get to ask you this. What um, in terms of the hardware question for you, in terms of preferences, and you know, if you're representing the you know, single sig side of this debate. What what do you think is is best practices for and you know preferred preferences for hardware for you? Um, like personally, I just have like a hardware uh, like a cold card with uh, you know I just I like uh, generated seed and then uh, put a bit thirty nine passphrase on it, wrote that down and backed it up and then distributed my backup to an undisclosed location. But um, yeah, I think that that was like. That's what felt safe to me and good enough for like the amount I'm holding now. If I had a hundred million dollars, it might be something different. But um. well, that's that's actually that's what was my next thing is because I think a lot of people just think right now I have one thing to secure and make sure that it's totally rock solid. And you're telling me now I need like more things, and you're also involving more people. And like just from a even if that's not rational to see multi sig setups in this way, I think. Maybe we're just wired to be like, nah, I, I invite complexity, I invite other people, that's dangerous. Like that's, you know, my information is leaking, my, you know, my, my, it's more susceptible to things, et cetera. But I think people, you know, are starting to think that, we're starting to realize and, you know, Phil and your work at Unchained and the education piece that everyone is doing around this is helping. But as you said, Ben, like I think, you know, if Bitcoin continues its rise, then uh, a lot of people that maybe secured their Bitcoin in the way that you just articulated, Ben, are going to start having considerations like, well, that's, you know, am I that confident in that setup? Because it's starting to become a lot of money. And what if I get hit by a car? You know, what, what happens to my wealth and my family and that kind of stuff in those scenarios? So um, what, I, I guess, yeah, I guess the question is what threshold uh, do these considerations like do we think these considerations will start being kind of uh moving to people like it'll it'll kind of inspire them to change their setup is it just a dollar value phil in your experience you could probably shed some light on that i mean i would say so you know if you have if you are storing enough bitcoin where it's worth it for you to buy two hardware wallets i think after one or two more bull runs like that is a life-changing amount of of wealth. So it's like, you know, setting up multi-sig is uh, a little bit more complicated, but I think it, it's worth it. Um, you know, we, we actually just uh, released a sort of concierge onboarding service where for, you know, $1,500, uh, we'll send you hardware wallets, we'll teach you everything you need to know about multi-sig, and we'll build a vault with you and then deposit a thousand bucks into the vault. And that thousand dollar mark is like, it felt for us like that was probably the right amount to encourage people to start learning about multi-sig. Anything less than that, definitely not worth it. Um, and I think multi-sig is good for, yeah, up to millions. Yeah, I think um, I, 
I think multi-sig will be like quote unquote ready for the everyday person where like there's backups that are compatible across like everything and uh, like standardized where it's safe for like the long, long run where you don't need to trust the current wall you're using because the standardized things you backed up will be used in the future as well. I think that'll be done by the time like before this next bull run really gets kicking. So we'll probably be fine. But um, I, I think like, yeah, if you're getting like millions of dollars, multi-sig is probably a better idea because that complexity is worth it if you're securing that amount of wealth. Right. And Ben, uh, you know, don't only share what you're comfortable with, but in the, the next question uh, I wanted to ask was about like inheritance planning and estate planning and stuff like that. What considerations do you think uh, single sig, the, the single sig crowd have to make or what's, what options are available to them uh, for such considerations if they choose not to do something like multi-sig? Yeah, that, that is a problem. Cause like, say if you have like a BIP 39 seed with a passphrase, um, you either have to tell that passphrase to someone beforehand or, you know, figure out a way to get it to them after you die. Maybe use something like Matt O'Dell's final message yeah. or, um, you know, some like dead man switch, or you just give them the seed beforehand and, you know, trust them. But uh, that's not really tenable for a lot of people. So and you want to have a lot I mean, of faith in old Matty O'Dell's yeah. uh, final message. Exactly. <laughs> Stuff like that too. Yeah. So, you know, maybe you give your mom your, the, I don't know, the like the passcode to your safe. And then that, that has all the information in it. That's just, you know, that, then that safe becomes a single point of failure. So you kind of can't get around that single point of failure, but you can you know, leave places where, you know, you give information for one person and then they'll be able to figure out once you, they can get into that spot without giving them direct access to your funds. Right. And alternatively, Phil, what does inheritance planning look like with, uh, you know, a multi-sig solution? Sure. And I think that the answer is dependent on whether you're doing multi-sig on your own or multi-sig with a company. If you're doing multi-sig on your own, say you have like a two of three multi-sig address that you've built with Caravan, um, you know, what, what we say is generally acceptable for that wallet file, that wallet configuration file is to secure it somewhere that it's encrypted. So maybe in a, an encrypted password manager that you can then invite you know, your, your relative or, or somebody to share with, and then you give that relative maybe one key, right? So in the event that something happens, they have to cooperate or coordinate with, um, you know, someone else or, or a, you know, lawyer or your, your beneficiary in your bank account or something. Um, but yeah, you can set it up on your own so that it requires multiple parties to cooperate in order to get the funds back. With an unchained vault, which is collaborative custody, um, as I mentioned earlier, as long as you know, uh, uh, executor uh, shows up with one seed or one hardware wallet that they can unlock um, and legal documentation, then we are able to assist uh, with the transaction. Additionally, a lot of our clients will onboard their trusts, so they'll set up a legal. Uh, trust. And then in that event, just whoever is the, the trustee at that point in time is the legal owner of the Bitcoin. So it just follows the rules of your trusts. Right. Um, so, I mean, I guess, because if, if you're just uh, using other quote unquote trusted people, then you're kind of back in, this, in the, the same situation. Like, I guess, does multisig, it's going to need the integration of like legacy structures, let's say, like it can't all be contained within Bitcoin in order to serve this purpose, right? Because something like, uh, you know, an attorney or a trust will like legally keep that, keep access of, of that away from other people that might access it prior to your death, right? Whereas if it was just a, c a couple of trusted people, well, they, you know, the same as you giving them your seed for your single sig, they could just collude against you, you know, with if, with a two or three multi sig or something like that. So, is does does multi sig just allow for, or sorry, to set up an inheritance planning structure with multi sig? You know, you're going to have to get a legal entity involved, and that's pretty much the the, the best way to go about it at this current point in time. I think that. Well, I personally don't want to live in a world where I can't trust anyone. I think there are trust minimized ways to do it. 
um, but there is no trustless way. And even sort of some of the new native uh, Bitcoin tools, like I, what is it? Uh, vaults, Bitcoin vaults, I think is what it is, which allows you to kind of go through a couple different layers and then send a transaction. Like those are still not silver bullet solutions because you don't know if an address that you're going to be sending to in the future is still under the control of somebody, right? So there's, I, I don't personally see a way where you can go, you can do something like inheritance planning in an entirely trustless way. Um, you always will have to provide some pieces of information to either a legal representative or a you know, trusted person. Um, what I like about multi-sig is it, it seriously limits the amount of power that one of the items that they're holding onto can do by itself, right? So if you give somebody a, a recovery seed and just instructions, if anything happens to me, take this here, like th they can't do anything with just a single seed. Uh, they can't even find the, the Bitcoin that you're holding. You, they have to also have access to that wallet configuration file or go to the trusted third party and say, I want to make a Bitcoin transaction. But then, you know, the company has to, uh, you know, facilitate that transaction. So I like that about multi-sig. You can give people um, important information, but it's not critically, uh, it's not critical to the security of the Bitcoin. It always requires a combination. Um, and that's what I mean by like, it eliminates single points of failure. Um, we touched on this a, a little bit earlier, but Ben, maybe you could uh, talk on this for a sec. Just so that I'm, I'm clear, what are the biggest privacy trade-offs that you're making, if any, when, if you, with a setup like that? And in particular, yes. with a setup like that, like a collaborative custody setup? Um, collaborative custody, you're kind of just working your privacy because Unchained will be able to see every single transaction you do. So... You know, if the U.S. government comes and subpoenas them, you're just kind of screwed. But um, if you're doing, like, uh, just even, like, all self-hosted multi-sig, you still kind of can wreck your privacy because um, it's going to have a clear on-chain footprint, at least still in the taproot, where, you know, it'll see, you'll see, like, op check multi-sig right on the blockchain and know, like, this is a multi-sig transaction, this isn't a single-sig transaction. And that can have, like, uh, different concerns. So, like, say you're, like, standard workflows, you know, you buy... Bitcoin on Cash App every Friday, withdraw it, and then once you have enough, then you're gonna like send that to Wasabi or Samurai and mix it. If you're like, say you have like five Bitcoin on your hardware wallets from your multi-sig, and you send that to Wasabi and then mix it, and then send it back to the multi-sig when you're done, it's gonna have a distinct on-chain footprint. Like there's not much like five Bitcoin going from multi-sig to Wasabi and then back to multi-sig. So you're kind of giving like a clear like shout out like, hey, this is a different address I'm going to. And uh, that can kind of wreck you where you're not hiding in like primarily what is used today is single sig. So you have a lot larger anonymity set versus a multi-sig, which is just like a lot smaller. So less people but, to hide among. And haven't you borked your privacy by buying Bitcoin through Cash App? That's true. But they don't know where my addresses are or like which addresses I hold my funds on. Yeah, I think that there's, so I think you, you're, you're correct that if you include any company in a multi-signature quorum, that you are no longer anonymous. I do think that there's a difference between privacy and anonymity. Um, so, you know, if you, if you are working with a trusted partner, you can still be private. You probably can't be anonymous. Um, in, you're right. In order to be anonymous, uh, you know, you, you should, first of all, um, obtain your Bitcoin from a non-KYC source. Uh, so wouldn't go through Cash App for obtaining, you know, anonymous Bitcoin. And then, yes, be mixing all of your coins using, you know, Whirlpool or Samurai or, or Wasabi, rather. Um, but, yeah, I would say if you're, you know, if you're, if you're purchasing Bitcoin from a KYC exchange, like, you're not anonymous anymore. That's actually... Well, Sorry, go ahead, Ben. Yeah, I mean, you're on a, like the U.S. government knows like now you own that much Bitcoin, but they don't know where that's stored and if you've spent it or not. Which, so like when you're actually sending a transaction, that's I mean, it depends what you consider anonymous. Like they won't know it's coming from you unless they can track it like all the way back, but they will know that you have Bitcoin. Um, 
Phil, what happens to collaborative custody, you know, in this, in a 6102 sort of event, right? The government says Bitcoin is banned. And if you got it, give it up. Um, you know, and I think most people in a single SIG environment may be plausible deni- deniability works. Maybe I lost them in a boating accident. You know, there's, there's ways to kind of get around it there. But ob- obviously, when you involve uh, corporations, the legal system, et cetera, then uh, in, that, in, in your security setup, then it has a different dynamic. What would be your response to something like that happening in a, a collaborative custody model? First of all, I'm a hopeless optimist, so I don't believe that Bitcoin will be 6102'd. Uh, we, have, we know we have politicians at pretty much the highest level of the U.S. government with, uh, with Bitcoin. I think we're going to have a, a Bitcoin senator uh, coming up in a couple months. Um, so I'm, I'm hopelessly optimistic that we won't be 6102'd, but if we are 6102'd and you are securing funds uh, in a collaborative multi-sig setup with a company, um, you know, at least with Unchained, since you have your wallet configuration file and your two seeds, uh, your, two, your two keys, you, you are holding your Bitcoin. So the plausible deniability thing there, I think, applies in the same way for multi-sig as it would for single-sig. Um, and in particular, for the Bitcoin that you're obtaining above the table, um, like I said with, with Ben, I think you've already kind of borked your anonymity. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's no... I don't have like a, a silver bullet solution for that, but I would say that, um, you know, in the event of a 6102, if you're relying on, on plausible deniability for single signature with an unchained vault, you would have that same plausible deniability. Right. Yeah. If, if they 6102 and like, you see that announcement and you have like an unchained vault, you could just like, like, Oh shoot, they're going to get subpoenaed and just immediately spend it from there to like your own single sig or all a multi-sig you set up personally. And then you just have to, you know, they'll have to come and find you then. Yeah, um, with uh, external recovery with Caravan, um, you know, it's a, the workflow is import wallet configuration file, you know, load the wallet, hit send, and then the Bitcoin is wherever you've sent it. Ben, uh, I think, you know, we've kind of discerned that once things become more standardized and you can kind of have more confidence in the setup that you think, Multi-sig and for certain amounts, over certain amounts, multi-sig is uh, you know sensible, appro- sensible approach to security. Uh, what do you make of the collaborative custody model? I think it's good for like if you're like if if you don't trust yourself to do it, it's definitely a good idea to do. Or if you want, even if you do trust yourself, but you know you're you want to be able to have like your beneficiaries if you do like die or something to be able to do it themselves. It's definitely a good idea because. It just, you know, then you have someone to call on the phone, they'll be able to help set it up or get the money besides having to, you know, look up like a document I wrote on my computer or something and hopefully I did it correctly. So I think that's really nice, but uh, it does have the trade-offs where, you know, they now have a part of the keys and, you know, you're losing some privacy. Right. Um, And so in a scenario where you got to get out of Dodge, right? You got to leave the country, you got to go to the Citadel somewhere in a Caribbean island, whatever it may be. Um, what happens in that scenario when you have a setup like this? And again, both scenarios will require special approaches, but uh, let's say you're going to be searched at borders. And I, I know we're tinfoil hatting here, but let's just say like mm-hmm. that has to happen. You got to get out of Dodge. You're going to be, you're going to be searched. Like what is the, 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 the approach or protocol or solution to something like that? Uh, I would say you like you should immediately spend it from whatever quorum you have so then they don't know where your like exact funds are being tracked forever. So then you have it on like your own X pubs so then they can't see like track it fully on the blockchain. But then uh you know you probably want to mix it and then like for backups like say if you don't want to have to like carry like a cold card out through a border because they might know what that is. Um, then, you know, you could just have, like, pieces of paper with words on them or, uh, you know, like, an SD card with stuff encrypted on it, and that should be sufficient. I don't feel, do you have anything else? I would say for the, the ultimate uh, sort of refugee case, I would suggest memorizing a 12-word seed. And I guess, just I guess that's what there. it boils down to, right? Because if you're mm-hmm. going to be stripped at the border and you don't have your... 
I mean, I guess if you have things sufficiently dispersed and you're getting, you're going to a place where, you know, you have a device stored or something like that, it might be a bit different, but. I mean, uh, the other alternative would be to, um, you know, wherever your destination is, if you have somebody that you trust. Did we lose him? <laughs> Possibly. Yeah, looks like we did. Um, the last thing I was going to ask, uh, I think we could talk about this if well, we wait for Phil to come back, but what do you think, you know, for people that are thinking about multisig and the privacy considerations, what role does Rust run send them? The hey, am I back? Yeah, yeah, you're back. back. You're back. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, we lost you. Yeah, just say all that over again. I, I think um, okay, so, so yeah, ultimate, uh, ultimate bug, bugging out of your country. Um, probably the, the, the best way would be to just send your Bitcoin to somebody you trust on the other end, if you can do that. Second best. Um... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, again yeah we yeah. got the, the first we got thing. yeah we got to second best what's second best <laughs> uh second best i think might be yeah memorizing that 12 word seed and then third best might be if you have people in your destination country who you're comfortable with in a collaborative custody arrangement like build build an address with caravan and then you know they have two keys and you have one key and you can memorize your one key All Right. Uh, well, gents, uh, before Phil's internet connection craps out entirely and uh, we don't get to say a good goodbye, are there any other kind of closing statements or things we missed out that either of you wanted to touch on or bring up or discuss before we shut it down? Um, I'm actually bullish on multi-sig. I just think we need to wait another maybe year or two before backups are sufficiently standardized and I'll be ready for like the everyday user, which I think Phil and company are working on hard. So. I'm glad. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, uh, John. And it was good, uh, good debating with you, Ben. Um, I think uh, today, collaborative multisig is primarily, the, it's like the best way to do things like self-directed retirement accounts. Uh, can you still hear me? Yep. yep. Self-directed retirement accounts, inheritance, and any sort of uh, like business account. So if you're a business and you want to be, you know, holding your own keys and, and dividing responsibilities among employees, um, our vaults, I think, are a really great solution for that. Multi-sig by itself, where you're holding the keys, I think is, is excellent for, um, you know, significant funds. Um, as Ben mentioned, you know, it's, it's still somewhat new. There's emerging standards coming out. Um, we're working really hard to, to make sure that multi-sig is safe and cross-compatible because you really want to be able to rebuild your multi-sig wallets and vaults with a bunch of different implementations. Um, so it's, it's getting better every day. And I think it's at a point right now where uh, if you're comfortable using hardware wallets, you should play around with it. Right. Uh, two more questions. I, wanna, I wanted to ask you before we, we, uh, we left this off, but uh, some people think that a custody approach where you mix up the, the approach. So I have some funds in multi-sig, I have some on single sig, and I, dare I say, have some with a custodian, just in case, you know, for whatever purposes. Uh, do you guys think there's, that's a sensible approach? Is it too much complexity? Is uh, our third-party custodians always a no-no? What, what's your take on that? I can go um, first. I, I think, uh, I mean, if you're just starting off with Bitcoin, get, get Bitcoin. Whatever is the easiest way to get it, whether it's custodian or you know, stacking sats with a rewards program, that's the best way to do it. Once you start learning more about it, take control of your private keys, right? Like start, start, start using Bitcoin itself. Um, and then, you know, it, it's always just a journey. So it kind of scales with whatever your experience level's at. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, if you really trust Coinbase or whatever custodian you have, you can leave funds on it, but that's not a good way to store wealth for the long term. Um, so, you know, do that at your own risk. But uh, 
I think yeah, you know, like using like a mixture of multi sig and single sig can be a good idea if you know you don't fully trust yours. Like it was like it was a complex setup, and you're like you know I don't want to put all my funds in there. I'll just put a third. You know now you have a third of your funds that don't have a single point of failure, which you know is a benefit. But you do have that complexity, so but that complexity is not going to lose out on you know all your money. It's only a third now, so it's a good way to distribute that complexity and like you know minimize potential failures so by the next halving is multi-sig for long term long term uh storage the de facto uh you know approach to do it i think multi-sig is is the de facto approach today we're a little early but bitcoin's a little early yeah i I think uh, six months from now, it'll probably be the de facto way, maybe a year, but uh, definitely by the next halving. Right. Well, gents, it uh, it wasn't quite as vigorous a debate uh, as I was (laughs) expecting, but uh, there you go. I guess that speaks to to multi-sig and and how much sense it actually does make. It just uh, perhaps, I think most of it is just a technical hurdle that people even assume. I think the hurdle is probably far lower than people actually realize but just uh you know coming into this space and being ingrained into you like you know not your keys not your coins and just you know holding on for dear life to your keys and then being told you know to change that setup i think is what the big stumbling block for for some people is but uh thank you guys for taking the time to uh, have a chat with me about this today and, and shed some light on on it all for everybody um any closing thoughts before we shut it down guys stack sats yeah thanks ads thanks for having me (laughs) all right guys take care we'll talk to you soon thanks a lot yeah yeah bye